Good morning, and welcome to the Scholars in Iron podcast. I'm your host, Joe, coming to you from outside the nation's capital, right here in the DMV. The objective of Scholars in Iron is very straightforward. It's to associate strength training with intellectual endeavors. On the show, we'll examine the connection between capitalism and CrossFit, philosophy and powerlifting, all to raise some hell and even a few questions. By the end of each episode, we'll get one rep closer to living the phrase, civilize the mind, but make savage the body. Now come on, let's lift. In today's episode, I want to discuss how bodybuilding can be understood as a process of creating knowledge, or what the Japanese writer Yukio Mishima called learning the language of the flesh. I also want to critique Mishima and talk about why bodybuilding can also provide a deep sense of meaning in the modern world. But first, let's step back for a minute and look at what many consider bodybuilding to be. Beyond its definition as a physique sport, bodybuilding is often thought of as an artistic endeavor. And at a certain level, this does make sense. I mean, when you look at a pro bodybuilder, you're observing their aesthetics in their final form when they're on stage. It's similar to how we only read fully edited books and completed works of art that are on display. But I want to push this a little bit further. I mean, can we say that building the body is more or less the same as to how a writer creates a story? If so, are muscles basically the words of a narrative rendered into flesh? Now, on their own, words are nothing unless they represent an agreed upon idea or they're assembled to represent a coherent thought. Muscles, on the other hand, require no mediation. Once we see a muscular physique, we basically know what we're dealing with. So maybe bodybuilding can be more comfortably associated with sculpture, the mimicking of the human form from marble. I'm not entirely convinced. The muscles a sculptor fashions are those external to themselves. At the end of the day, the sculptor can always put down their hammer and chisel. But a bodybuilder not only owns their muscles, but they operate in them. They can use them to reshape their very biological existence and the space around them. And all this, I think, doesn't really make bodybuilding an art form per se, but an existential mode of being, of performing. Bodybuilders understand themselves similar in a way that I think approximates what Nietzsche writes in Thus Spoke Zarathustra. You say I, and are proud of this word. But greater than this, although you would not believe in it, is your body and its intelligence, which does not say I, but performs I. And this performative I is the kind which Mishima wanted to discover for himself. This is an entirely different aspect of the self than one might use to discover with the aid of a book or LSD. It's that dark intellectual life he was already far too familiar with. For Mishima, the process of building the body was essentially a physical undertaking of the existential question. So, who was Yukio Mishima? Mishima was the pen name of one of Japan's most prolific and infamous post-war writers. He wrote dozens of novels, poems, plays, and even directed a short film. He was a man who, by and large, felt estranged from Japanese society under modernity after the war. Mishima had witnessed the aggressive expansion of Japan across East Asia, as well as its crushing defeat by the United States. This defeat, however, was not just military, but cultural for Mishima. He loathed the onset of industrial mass consumerism, which he viewed as an acid eating away at the country's aristocratic values that he so treasured. Mishima craved to live a life of honor and principles worth dying for, and so he did. After failing to seize a military compound in 1970, he committed ritual Japanese suicide, seppuku, before an audience of soldiers and civilians. 
rife within Japanese literature is the notion of the romantic death, of where a samurai warrior exhausts every last fiber of his being to slay the enemy as he goes down in the fight. This very act of disemboweling himself by katana was Mishima's way of saluting the samurai culture he so desperately wished to be a part of, as well as telling the Japanese liberals to basically go fuck themselves. I don't endorse any aspects of Mishima's politics, but I can't understand why looking to the past for heroic inspiration would also drive a man to create a physique equal to the lore. You see, at a certain point in his life, Mishima began to question the culture of the intellectual. The sort of brooding types who stay up late burning the midnight oil, saturated in their emotions, neglectful of their bodies. He wanted to seek out the sun and become like the men who marched under it with steel discipline and determination. He wanted to bask in it, to show off his muscles in it, and it would be through the steel, what you and I would call the iron, that Mishima would begin to transform his body. For him, the steel is the first step in learning who he was, and he wrote, The steel taught me many different things. It gave me an utterly new kind of knowledge that neither books nor worldly experience can impart. Muscles, I found, were strength as well as form, and each complex of muscles was subtly responsible for the direction in which its own strength was exerted, much as though they were rays of light given the form of flesh. For me... Muscles had one of the most desirable qualities of all. Their function was precisely the opposite to that of words. The ability to project your body in a powerful manner can really make you reevaluate the space you inhabit. You become, as Mishima would say, self-aware. And this is different than just merely existing. So, for example, we can ponder our existence. You know, we can choose whether or not we feel happy or sad. But at some point, these moments pass. They're fleeting at best and our minds often flicker between opposite ends of our emotions. It isn't in the biology for muscles that depart so quickly, and I often wonder what effect that might have for the brain. They're of a different order. Muscles are summoned when you lift, as your body begins to pump blood into the particular group you're targeting. And even when the pump goes away after you've trained, you're now left with a feeling of power, of contentment on both a psychological and physical level. This is self-awareness which starts when we begin to learn this larger vocabulary of the body which Mishima is pointing towards. I can remember very distinctly those days when I was transitioning from exercise to training, and I was looking at all these pictures of old school bodybuilders from the 70s, especially guys like Frank Zane. There was one routine in particular that Frank Zane did. It was for the 1983 Mr. Olympia, which he in fact lost, but his lines, his symmetry, I mean, these were all fascinating to admire, for I had never seen such on the human body before. Never even knew they existed. And I thought at the time what it must feel like to actually have a body like this, that sense of mastery. I thought of my own body in its current shape, and I was disappointed, because I knew it lacked the abilities men like Zane had over theirs. You see, our minds, Mishima reminds us, have this uncanny ability to envision and project all sorts of fantasies and senses of wonder. But in the end, these daydreams leave the bodies we possess sadly behind. We can only have an idea of what it might be like to have an impressive physique, but that's not really the same as being self-aware of having one. This is naturally different than when it comes to inducing the brilliance of our minds. We have all heard of these stories like the physicist who sketches a groundbreaking theorem on a cocktail napkin or like some guy from San Jose dropping DMT and creating a new app. But all these epiphanies, whether they're big or small, can more or less happen at any time in any place. The same can't really be done for the body. I mean, sure, there are places to build muscle, like, you know, a gym or a park, but the process is governed by so many other factors that in some ways are fundamentally at odds with how we might think through ideas, but also in the comfort of our pajamas. Mishima suggests that while we can construct a general idea of what this process is like, 
how it feels like to walk around being jacked, our analysis is going to be hamstrung by using all of these hypotheses and concepts and notions and analogies, which aren't really derived from our direct experience of having them on our own. He likens it to trying to figure out how a person from an entirely different culture experiences existence. There are going to be many aspects which might be cut out due to our own prejudices or relative ignorance, stuff that we didn't even know was there in the first place. So we can poke and prod as much as we like, but unless we do it, we just won't really know. It reminds me of this anecdote I once heard about Arnold and a kinesiologist. It was back in the 70s and they were apparently debating one another on the rep and set range which was ideal for hypertrophy. The professor was among the top of his field. He had all the degrees and was great at breaking down the science of it all. But all the brash and young Arnold simply had to do was turn to the audience, flex and reply, look at me and look at him, who are you going to believe? And I think in that very moment, we're seeing two different forms of knowledge on display and actually clash with the body clearly having the upper hand on the matter. Because it is highly unlikely that anyone's going to actually go up to the professor and ask him about a good training protocol while being eclipsed by the shadow of Arnold's muscle-bound physique. So bodybuilding conveys its knowledge directly, aggressively. It gives no quarter for quibbling details, and its presence is also that of the sublime. For Mishima, the image of the hero, like those immortalized in marble from ancient Greece and Rome, are deafening in their beauty and obvious in the meaning they project. I agree with Mishima when he suggests that there is something about today's society which tragically renders the aesthetics of the body as just that, something beautiful, similar to how a classical education is now, if anything, sort of seen as snobby and elitist. The steel, as Mishima reminds us, is the only way we can conjure up these dead notions of the language of the body, as one would do for Latin or Greek to resurrect a classical sense of knowledge. Mishima's essay is a fascinating psychological portrait into intellectual who understood bodybuilding as more than just a cheap way to attract the opposite sex or get ready for the beach. He gave new meaning to the term skin deep, or as he put it, the surface. But in the background of Mishima's text is absolute contempt for modernity as a whole. And when I think of what ought to be critiqued really is the capitalistic sense of modernity. I mean, I'm all for the modern, all of its different inventions, all of the progress we have. But there is something diabolical about commodifying life for profit that always seems to come at the expense of moral values, sacred traditions, and honor. Let me lay it out to you this way. Men and women, I think, more and more are increasingly confined to the provinces of desk and service jobs, of taking orders, bagging groceries, and greeting people at chain stores. And I think for bodybuilders in particular, I don't know any of them who actually love their day jobs, moreover would actually identify. I mean, is there any wonder why so many people have found deep, resonant meaning to their lives, deadlifting in their garage or squatting at the gym? They are searching for glory in their own flesh and trying to speak the universal language of strength and beauty. That's where the steel comes into play. It's a painful guide to developing meaning and a corporeal knowledge of the self. So the greatest strength of Mishima is uncovering this language of the flesh, but he fails to recognize that the society, the very same one which eroded away the aristocratic traditions that he so loved, was also the one that plunged Japan into war and the same one which survived and oversaw the country's descent into the cultural malaise, Mishima romanticizes the past and he only sees fit to live in it. Which is tragic since so much of what the steel or iron offers is quite the opposite of death, it's victory in life. Regardless, I am sympathetic to the tropes which Mishima summons with the ancient Greeks and Romans. What strikes me now as I reread them are the abundant references to the aesthetics and strength of the body. Passages which before I started training, my mind's eye must have skipped over. Xenophon was a soldier and student of Socrates, who compiled various works of his teacher's dialogues and debates, and he really grabs at me. 
particularly in his memorabilia. There's one passage in particular that really drives home the classical dictum to treat the mind and body as equals worthy of co-advancement. In the midst of debating, Socrates glances over at Epigenes and remarks at the poor state of his companion's health. Epigenes, embarrassed, shrugs off Socrates' criticism, stating that he's not an athlete, so who cares? Unfortunately for him, this is more than enough fodder to wind up Socrates into one of his classic monologues, extolling the virtues of exercise and a healthy body. Besides, it is a disgrace to grow old through sheer carelessness before seeing what manner of man you may become by developing your bodily strength and beauty to their highest limit. But you cannot see that if you are careless, for it will not come of its own accord. That's all we have for today, guys. I just want to thank Alex and Mike for their display of verbal prowess. Music by Robert Slump. For Scholars and Iron, this is Joe, signing off.